Hello and welcome everybody to the F1 Runoff Area Podcast. I'm Amir. And I'm Charles. In today's episode, we're going to recap the season-opening Bahrain Grand Prix from this past weekend. What a race, Charles. Yeah, it was pretty amazing. It's good to be back, and it's nice to have a race that was you know, interesting, exciting, and not quite what we're used to. Yeah. I mean, first time to see these newly designed cars racing. You know, qualifying is one thing, but now seeing them in traffic, dealing with the dirty air, uh, that was just interesting to see. And I feel like the cars look good, you know, racing, of course, but the Williams and Mercedes, I, the Williams side pods, the, at least the rear half of them are kind of like the Mercedes and have that slope to them. Um, and then with the, under the lights, everybody was, was shiny. Everything just looked crisp. Yeah. Um, so I, I, I thought I would be a little bit annoyed by the giant wheels, but I don't even notice them. Yeah. So it was a great race. Well, I guess if we had to try to boil it down to just three headlines to start, um, you'd have Ferrari 1-2 uh, looking great. Um, as they have so far through testing and qualifying and all that. Red Bull right up there fighting at the front until a double DNF in just the final laps. Both cars just completely losing power and shutting down. Um, and then, of course, Mercedes uh, kind of stumbling into a 3-4 uh, with Hamilton on the podium, uh, but clearly continuing to struggle with pace. Yeah, quite a ways off from at least Ferrari and Red Bull in terms of race pace. Better than I expected. Uh, yeah. I think from qualifying, I was a little more uh, worried for them. And they certainly have, have problems in a, a uphill battle. But they were quicker, I think, or at least closer to Ferrari and Red Bull in race pace um, and further away from, further ahead of Haas and Alpha in race pace uh, as opposed to the qualifying. Yep. Well, let's just go through the uh, top 10 uh, for starters here. Leclerc, of course, winning the race. Um, then you've got Science in second. Uh, Hamilton, P3, Russell, P4, Magnussen in the Haas, P5, uh, and Botas in the Alpha, despite an atrocious start that we'll discuss. Uh, Botas takes P6, uh, Ocon, P7, Sonoda, P8, uh, Alonzo, P9, and the rookie, Joe, in the points, taking P10 for Alpha. Taking a point in his first race. Yeah. Joe looked, looked fairly good this race, I think. Yeah, looked steady, under control, and uh, clearly not too phased by uh, his F1 debut. Yeah, a reasonable start for him, not at the pace of Botas, but uh, Botas was performing pretty well and, and getting a lot of the car, so not that far off your teammate. Hard to tell. Botas really worked his way up to the field from 14th. I think right at the beginning of the race, they ended up um, behind, you know, together behind Albon. So mm -hmm. Botas was able to make his, his way a lot further up. But. Yeah. Yeah, just a, a real exciting race overall. Uh, Charles, what, what did you think were kind of the, the, more, the most exciting points of the race? The biggest highlight for me was the battle between Verstappen and Leclerc coming out of the first pit stop. Yeah. Just, just I mean, we haven't seen battles quite. I say that from last year. There were some, <laughs> at the end of the year, we had some, you know, all throughout the year, we had a lot of good battles last year, but it, it was still that handicapped battle where you had to get close enough and then you need the DRS to make a pass otherwise you're just nowhere mm -hmm. this was different I mean you could follow through the corner you know and I know there were some areas that Verstappen was complaining he couldn't follow that close to corner one but he clearly could between one and four and two and three I guess it is he was right nose on his tail and that's what you got to do particularly now there's going to be a reduced slipstream that's what you got to do you got to stay in there in the corner and then get a run out 
he was able to twice, and then the third time, you know, he had to actually make a big lunge to to get it. But it yeah. was it was a good battle. Yeah, it was like laps uh, fifteen to seventeen, something like that. And Verstappen pitted first. Verstappen was in P two, trailing Leclerc by you know two or three seconds. So he's going in for the undercut, and pits first. Um, and then, you know, has a, I think a pretty aggressive outlap despite what his team told him to do. Yeah. And well, then I think he did. He, he at least he at held least, back a little bit. Yeah. He held back a little bit. Um, and then, yeah. So then Leclerc pits the next lap, of course, and comes out of pit lane with Verstappen just bearing down the main straight right on his tail. And then they just duked it out for two or three laps. Three laps. Yeah. yeah. There were three. They fought over that corner one complex for three laps. Yeah, and three seconds is usually a little bit bigger of a gap than you can do an undercut on. So for this year, I think we're seeing, I think the reason that is, is because of the tire blanket change with the rear tires. You're coming out of the pits with colder tires, cooler tires, and you're going to need more time to get them up to temperature. So if you do have an undercut attempt like this, the person doing the undercut actually has an advantage on that lap when when you come out of the pits. It's because they're now on cold tires and the undercut driver tires are hot. Right. Although the trailing driver who pitted first would have had that same problem when they began their outlap. Yeah, that's true. So So. that would cost them the time the lap before um, on their outlap. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, again, three seconds. Usually if you were like maybe two seconds and less, you could undercut. So maybe that's not the reason. That's That's a good point. Yeah. yeah, I don't know. Maybe maybe uh, Red Bull picked up a little just in pit lane, uh, you know, the difference in uh, pit times or something. Yeah, yeah. But, but that w- did mm-hmm. seem seem bigger than I would expect it for the undercut. But it, it worked. It worked for him. And then, yeah, apparently Verstappen was having to ease his tires out, at least they wanted to preserve the tires on the outlap. And he did, at least to some degree, because he was complaining later on. That yeah. was an interesting, I think, thought development when, yeah, he, he preferred track position. So, you know, Red Bull had him preserve the tires, like I said, on the on the outlap from the pit stop. And I think on both the first and second stop, he did it. Um, and he came on the radio later complaining that I'm not doing that again yeah. because I could have actually had track position. So even though that three-second undercut, he could have actually came out in front if he had just gunned it on the outlap. And who cares about the tires because, you know, they actually they didn't seem to have very good uh, tire life on the softs anyway. So, yeah, he'd rather have the track position. And that made sense to me. Palmer actually brought that up in the broadcast, and I thought that was a really good point. Yeah, Verstappen uh, didn't want to baby those tires. Yeah. <laughs> Wasn't going to do it again. Wasn't going to do it anymore. It was also interesting. It looked when Verstappen had DRS on the main straight, it looked like, wow, look at that closing speed. He's just blowing by Leclerc at the end of the straight. But then it turned out later, Leclerc said he was actually doing, uh, you know, some strategic lifting or early yeah. braking going into turn one. Well, that brings a couple things up because the is the DRS too much now, and maybe you know maybe we don't need the DRS anymore, and that was kind of that. But but to your other point, yeah, Leclerc was apparently braking or lifting just a little early into one, so that when Max went for the move, he would actually cross that DRS detection zone first. And it worked, which would would give Leclerc the DRS and going into turn four, yeah. the straight leading to turn four. 
And it worked. The first two battles they had, that's exactly what happened. He effectively did, didn't quite do the undercut, but after getting Verstappen getting him into corner one, he just waited for his opportunity to use DRS coming out of three. And you could see there, too, he could really stick his nose behind Verstappen. Yeah. So as soon as he pulled out and that DRS opened, he was just, just by him, you know, by him like a rocket. Yep. But the third time, <laughs> third lap, Verstappen had to lunge. He couldn't make the move as early. So I think Leclerc probably said, I'm not going to break as late this time. Um, he did say that he was breaking early in those first two times. So I'm assuming he purposely broke a little later, uh, or at least got out of the throttle a little later, so that Verstappen had to really lunge. And if you mm. got to lunge that hard, you're not going to, you know, you're not going to get an exit. It's going to compromise your exit. And then that's exactly what he did. He did the undercut and then got him. He didn't need DRS for that one because Verstappen had blown the exit so much. Yeah. Um, in fact, Verstappen actually got the DRS, but it didn't. It wasn't enough. Yeah. Yeah, and then uh, you saw the pace difference. Leclerc just kind of drove away from him slowly and opened up, you know, again, his two, three-second lead. And it uh, clearly appeared Ferrari had the pace advantage over the Red Bull. But Red Bull, Red Bull might have had some technical issues, it turned out. Well, at least Verstappen was having apparently brake issues. Uh, his brakes were overheating. I don't know how much that affected him. I know at one point in the race, he sort of they, they gave him one more shot at the overtake, uh, and then you got to cool your brakes. But, uh, you know, it does look like, to me, Ferrari just has a little bit more pace. Just a tick. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, even Verstappen, some sort of magic isn't enough. Uh, and, and, you know, Leclerc is probably putting some magic out there, too. So you mentioned DRS a couple minutes ago and, and whether, you know, how it's playing in at this point with the rule changes. What are your thoughts on that after seeing the first race? I think it, well, I mean, it certainly made it exciting <laughs> for that with Verstappen, or at least helped. Um, in that battle, because as we just talked about with the, you know, different uh, the strategy to get DRS at different points. Yeah, DRS is there because, you know, people couldn't stay close enough in the corners to make a pass. So you'd need a, a bigger slingshot along the straight because you had to start from further back mm-hmm. at the exit of the, the mm-hmm. corner before the straight. Do we still need that? You know, now, apparently, it's pretty easy to get within and stay within a second. But because there's less of a slipstream... Once you're within that second, you don't have as much of a pull to make the pass. But that's kind of how it should be, right? Because if you can follow closely, the way you pass is that you get a better exit out of the last corner, and then you have more momentum down the next straight, and you can make the pass there. Or it at least keeps you enough momentum to stay right behind them within a second, you know, tucked right under them, Mm -hmm. and then you can lunge right when the braking zone starts by braking a little later than they are. So now you've got where you can hang close, but now you've also got the DRS still there. So when you're hanging close, you don't need to get that better exit anymore. As long as you're an evenly fast with them, you're starting from so close to them that the DRS lets you get by them right away, and you don't need as much of the straight to make the pass. So, you know, there's a middle ground to balance there between. I don't think we're seeing we're at that point yet where the DRS is the only thing that, you know, your even speed and the DRS lets you pass. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think we're at that point yet, but we may have moved. Eventually, we'll move too close to it. You know, we'll see. I think right now it really spiced up this battle, but you may see the, the purest contingent start to <laughs> complain about DRS again, as people did when it was introduced. Yeah. I suppose, you know, a middle ground might be shortening the DRS zones or something like that, or, or maybe maybe you could have the uh, wing open a, you know, a smaller amount or something like that, potentially, to reduce the impact of DRS. 
I think maybe opening the wing a smaller amount would be the compromise or the way to way to reduce it. Yeah. I, it's fine for now, but you know, like I said, it spiced up that battle because it brought in an extra strategy element. Yeah, and I mean Verstappen, yeah, he couldn't he couldn't even get past uh, Leclerc at least uh, ultimately, um, even with the DRS. So yeah, you know that's it, probably because he didn't have quite as much pace. If he yeah. had enough pace, you know, if he was quicker, he would have had more pace out of the last corner. You know, his wing's not being compromised anymore by the floor, at least not as much. Mm-hmm. And he would have been able to then get by him on speed. But the DRS then gave him the ability to keep make, uh, making those passing attempts, even though he probably wasn't getting a better exit out of the corner. Yeah. Um, and so that's where it kind of, are, you know, it kept him in the battle more than he probably would have been without DRS, yeah. certainly. Either way, though, it's encouraging that the cars are able to follow, at least visually here at this track, so closely uh, to one another. Because that if they can do that, they'll be able to pass more often. Yeah, the first lap looked remarkable in that respect, how, how closely the cars were bunched. I mean, I know it's the first lap, so of course they're close to each other, but it seemed like they were extra closely bunched at the start of this race. Even when they single-filed, um, the arrow didn't push them apart from each other. You yeah. know, it's just like a little buffer resistance between the cars that are like almost an air gap they bump into or something. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's gotten smaller. So even when they fan out in single file, you're not going to see quite as much of that. You'll still see the accordion effect, but you won't see as much of the, or you won't see as big a gaps, I think, between the cars. Mm-hmm. It's interesting we can see that, though. You know, these are all minute things, and the cars are traveling so fast that, but yeah, it's it. the rules have been enough where we can at least see a difference. At least, at least we think we can. Yeah. Well, should we touch on some of the teams yeah i think let's start with haas and alpha oh okay we talked about a a bit about them and qualifying and how surprising their results were yeah so i think the race didn't really change that too much did it no that's right of course magnuson as we mentioned uh p5 and then schumacher p11 Um, of course those are really seventh and 13th if red bull hadn't had those that double failure yeah, so just a great turnaround for Team Haas. They, they said last year they were putting all their eggs in the 2022 basket, um, and it seems to have worked out. Yeah, I didn't believe them. I'm assuming I'm not alone. And, <laughs> again, the Ferrari engine is probably part of this, but Magnussen just looked excellent. Um, I think getting a lot out of the car, maybe, you know, nobody's getting the most out of the car right now because they got to refine the setups, but he looked great. Shumi... Yeah, that was surprising that he, I was surprised he didn't do better than he did. It almost, and I saw some people questioning, what does that tell you? Maybe Team Haas wasn't at the back uh, last year with, uh, uh, they didn't have Schumacher. I know, they uh, were, that seems like a stretch. The gap, I think, uh, last year was bigger between Haas and the rest of the field than it was between Schumacher and Magnus and here. Yeah. Um, I have written in my notes, anonymous for Schumacher, and you know, when I went back and Anonymous? rewatched the race, yeah, I sort of like I didn't even notice. You know, I'm, oh, yeah. Magnuson was noticeable, that's for sure. Shumi, did I even notice? He actually had a little bit better of a race than I initially was my initial impression. You, of course, he was punted at the start by Ocon, which Ocon did receive a five second penalty for. But even so, he qualified 12th, he finished 11th, really 13th. You know, so I guess he finished where he qualified, mm-hmm. not so bad. But we're not talking about Joe. I, I, I was sort of comparing the two of them. And I sort of mm-hmm. had to remember, oh, wait, Schumacher's got a year of experience. Yeah. So a little less forgivable in that, in that regard. He's also going up against Magnuson, who looks excellent, but Joe's going up against Botas. I don't know. Not so bad, mm-hmm. but 
yeah, I think we kind of expected more. It's one race. Let's see yeah. what the what the season brings between these two. And Magnuson is obviously already in the zone, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Maybe Schumacher just needs to find his zone. But I expected more. So Magnuson's P5 nets 10 points in the Constructors' Championship for Haas. That 10 points is just from the first race this year, is more than Haas has scored in the last two seasons combined. Yeah. Well, one of those was a goose egg. One was a goose egg. One was uh, <laughs> three points, maybe, something like that. Well, what does it go back? The If you go back three years, how many points does it cover? So if you go back to if you go back three years, they've scored 31 points in the last three years combined because they had 28 points in 2019, three points in 2020, and the goose egg in 2021. So more points in the last two years and roughly a third of their points in the last three years. Yeah. So good. <laughs> in one race from one driver. Right. So great start for Haas. Very exciting. And uh, we'll see if they can uh, continue to maintain that position. And a similar story for Alpha. A great start. Botas, I felt, was a little anonymous from my point of view, too, just because I, he didn't get a lot of attention. Uh, he got a horrible start, right? He started sixth, down to 14th, and it was... Not an incident with somebody else. I think it was just wheel spin. Uh, but ultimately fell all the way to 14th. Um, yeah. and, but worked his way up to 6th. Uh, you know, sort of, a, I guess, a slow, steady progression. At, early in the race, he did get some attention from the camera. We got to see him pass Albon, at least. But after that, I kind of just forgot about him as the you know exciting stuff at the front was happening. But yeah, worked his way 8 positions up from 14th back to 6th. Of course, that's eighth on pace without the double retirement of the Red Bull. But I just mm-hmm. think it's interesting because the past five years, Votas was at Mercedes. And, you know, in all those years, if Hamilton ended up back in the field, he could usually just storm his way front. Votas always seemed to have a problem when he was in the middle of the field really making any progress. But then yeah. he moves to Alpha, and not only does he outqualify the person who takes his seat at Mercedes, but... He moves up eight positions in the race after a bad start, and <laughs> so I mean, again, Botas. What, what is do you just... make? What do you make of that? Is that something to do with the rule changes, or maybe it suits his driving style, as we discussed previously? Or... Well, I definitely think that the rule changes are part of it, right? As we said before, if they can follow closely, they can pass more. Botas mm-hmm. is at least some evidence that the new rules are at least working to some extent, mm-hmm. because a guy that historically couldn't pass his way through the field. I mean, not that he never did, but um, is suddenly doing it, you know, uh, in the in this first race after the rule change. You got to think that's part of it. Botas obviously is in the zone too at Alfa Romeo, despite, you know, just arriving there. So a combination of those two things, you know, a combination of other things. Yeah. It's just, uh, it's interesting to see him move up so quickly. Yeah, so I think that's, so that's at least some good information about the rules. And we mentioned uh, Joe, the rookie, also in the points. So double points for Alpha. So kind of my initial recollection um, from about Joe from the race was similar to Schumacher. It was kind of anonymous to me because I, I really didn't pay a ton of attention. I didn't see how much attention he got either from the camera. But really, when I went back and looked at it, it was a clean and consistent kind of run up the order, too. You know, he started way back there in qualifying um, and ended up getting a point again. <laughs> That's the Red Bull double retirement, probably, but still a clean and consistent run. And because he, you know, is a rookie, you got to give him that. He's also going up against Potas, which is no mm-hmm. tall order. So I think a good first race, race for Joe. I wouldn't say like a great first race that you know, mm-hmm. oh my goodness, it's the next Lewis Hamilton. Right. But I wouldn't say that it's not 
you know, possible either. I'd say, hey, looks like he's uh, adapting fairly well. Yeah. And I'll do the points comparison here. Alpha, having finished second to last in 2021 uh, in the Constructors' Championship, they scored 13 points in all of 2021, and they racked up nine points in just the uh, just the opening race here in 2022. So great start for Alpha. Okay, well, we kind of uh, jumped to Haas and Alpha because that was uh, it's just those are two exciting uh, turnarounds to see developing in, in the season so far. Um, but let's go back to the front of the field. Uh, what do you think about Ferrari, the 1-2? Well, they looked, you know, Leclerc looked like he basically controlled the race from the front. Apparently, he had uh, enough spare capacity to joke with his team. He played a joke, apparently, with his engineers that his engine was deteriorating on the last lap. You I know, saw that. That's kind of like unheard of for the level of professionalism in, you know, Formula 1 at this point. But <laughs> pretty funny. And uh, But, you know, if you're if you're doing that on the last lap, and, you know, he's had some pretty heartbreak. His first win was a big heartbreak with, like, a couple laps to go. So if he's that confident, he's got some speed in hand, or at least he's got mm-hmm. mental capacity in hand at, the point in, right. at that point. So, yeah, that shows. I think they're, you know, Verstappen was, was pretty darn close. I think that Ferrari is ultimately a tick or two ahead, like we said in, col- in qualifying uh, in race pace, that we're seeing that. And, you know, then I think Red Bull is, is just off there. And mm-hmm. that's kind of how it worked out. The top drivers won two. Then it would have worked out three, four uh, for the seconds in each team. Uh, I was a little disappointed Science wasn't uh, up to the challenge of uh, challenging Leclerc for the race win. But, you know, he struggled all weekend. And I think that we'll see him close that gap. I hope we'll see him close that gap. But, I mean, the biggest takeaway, if you're going to talk about Ferrari, is just... Uh, Leclerc basically just stormed to the victory. He had that yeah. battle with Verstappen, but really, it never really looked in doubt who had the pace or who was gonna was gonna take home the victory. Yeah, agreed. I, I did uh, think Science comments were interesting about how he struggled the whole weekend, even after the race P two. Um, he was complaining about his pace and was pretty hard on himself. That just seemed curious to me. It seemed like he was, you know, had a pretty smooth weekend and took home the P two. Um, so, uh, maybe that, maybe he's kind of raising expectations uh, on himself by saying that. And actually he was on pole after the first run in Q3, but Verstappen and Leclerc were able to improve their times on the second run. And I think he wasn't, and therefore he Mm. ended up third, but he almost had it. If, if, if the second runs had been slower for whatever reason, which is rare, but does Mm -hmm. happen, he would have ended up on pole. Uh, But again, you know, he, Anything but a victory is disappointing to these guys. Yeah. He's just got in the seat in Ferrari, you know, in last year, but he's in Ferrari. This is what kids dream about. And well, no no race driver wants to be the best number two Formula One's ever seen, you know. Yeah. He wants to challenge Leclerc, and I think he expected to, you know, the back half of last year, he was getting really close, sometimes, sometimes a little better. Um, and, of course, he beat him in the points. So I think he probably expected to start this season – on a better footing and with the rule shakeup that would uh, eliminate some of Leclerc's advantage from having been at Ferrari longer. So I think that's some of it, but that's a really honest reaction from a driver because it does show a uh, weakness, but he's also trying to, you know, excuse or explain why he wasn't up there. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so he was probably like in a way a little bit embarrassed because man, I, I want to be winning races, not number two, you know, but yeah. You, know, you usually don't quite hear that level of, 
of honesty from him in the interviews. But it also shows that he's, like you said, setting that bar and saying that, yeah, I'm not here this weekend, but I'm going to get there and we'll see if he does. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, it'll, it'll be fun to watch that uh, teammate battle. Okay, well, let's move on uh, to Red Bull. Um, obviously, a very dramatic and disappointing race for Red Bull. They're fighting at the front, both cars, and in just the last few laps, uh, both cars just completely power down. They end up with two DNFs. Yeah, and Perez, it was he had kind of a race like Botas in that he got a bad start. Nothing like Botas' start. Yeah. I think he only went from fourth to sixth after the first few corners or after the first half a lap. But it did he was able to in a, not only a few laps i think it took him a little while to catch eventually get hamilton but he was able to work his way back up into sort of where the car should have been for the number 2 red bull driver he did seem like he was quick mm-hmm. enough this weekend to disrupt strategies you know maybe if um if that had come into play but obviously yeah. red bull wasn't quite quick enough to beat ferrari at the front anyway so it really didn't matter but that um, you know, it, it was a steady weekend and, a, a, in a way, an anonymous weekend, at least from my perspective, on Perez again. But he did, he seemed to do the job. He seemed to be where he needs to be as the number two driver in that team. We all know he's not going to be, by this point, we know he's never going to be really challenging Verstappen on a every weekend, you know, a regular basis. Right. And Verstappen looked super quick. He also looked a little, I don't know, he sounded a little tense with his complaining on the radio and. <laughs> Um, he was not happy with the car and, you know, the lockup and the battle against Leclerc. He just, uh, he seemed like he was uh, fraying just a bit. Yeah, well, I don't know if I'd call it fraying. I, I think it shows how competitive these guys are, right? You know, mm-hmm. you know, after the events of last year, we all saw how disappointing that was to Hamilton and what that can do to a sportsman at this level, how, how, how devastating that can be when you put all of it you know, all of yourself into this like this. Yeah. He just won the world title. Uh, what, three months ago? He just won the world title three months ago. And controversy aside, you know, Verstappen doesn't feel like there's an asterisk. And I don't either. But regardless of sure. who does and who doesn't, Verstappen doesn't feel that way. He's a world champion in the history books. will say that we're less than or three months away. He steps back in a car. He's almost got the best car, but, you know, maybe it's a little less. He's still that motivated. He's still that competitive you know, he's going to, what, he signed till 2028 now. So <laughs> um, we're hopefully going to see at least a few more years of this level of, of Verstappen. Uh, so I think that's that's great. You know, I do think that the, the fraying you're sensing is probably a little bit of his frustration because yeah. he doesn't have the best car. Or, and the, clearly they were having a lot of problems this race with the with the brakes, and he clearly disagreed with a little of the strategy they were having him mm-hmm. do. So, yeah, I, I, I see what you're saying, but I think that mostly that just shows how, you know, he's still motivated. You know, we'll see if he can keep that motivation up for as long as a guy like Hamilton has because um, yeah. we could see a similar career for Verstappen if Red Bull can can have a provide the car through those years. Right. Um, but uh, impressive race. But, yeah, you're right. We're, we're not seeing the guy who's controlling the front with ease. We're seeing the drivers that's having to fight a little harder for it. And so you're going to see that. Any driver at, this, at the front at this level, you're going to see those little bits of irritation when it's not easy. Now, it's never easy, but you know what I mean. When, it's mm-hmm. not, when they're not uh, controlling the race from the front uh, with ease, so to speak. Yeah. One of the things he was complaining about very early on in the race was the engine braking. Did you see this? Uh, I was did. having problems with the engine braking. What, uh, what did that mean to you? So I don't know what the specific problem was, but that drag that he feels when he lifts off the throttle and when he's on the brakes, 
didn't feel the same. It was a, maybe it was mm-hmm. changing. You know, it was dynamic instead of being static during the braking zone or or something. But there okay. was some issue with that. Uh, I don't, it didn't seem like that actually panned out. They may have actually fixed that with the settings because um, I did hear them giving him some instructions at one point, okay. and then I didn't not hear him complain about it anymore. So I think they did fix that. But yeah, that was an issue. Of course, we talked about the brakes too. They they had a number of uh, issues that I think made their day a little more frustrating than it normally would have been. You know not even considering the fact that they both blew up at the end effectively. All right, well, let's move on to Mercedes. Uh, Hamilton ending up on the podium after, uh, despite uh, Mercedes' struggles. Uh, P3 for Hamilton, P4 for Russell. Smooth race for the team. Saw no issues of, you know, reliability issues or technical issues. Um, So they have to be happy with that after clearly uh, continuing to struggle. Well, particularly with the points haul from the gift of third and fourth, they're really at least right now, the third fastest team, and yeah. they would have ended up fifth and sixth, just like where they should have been, being the third, the third fastest team. You know, they, it didn't. It's not a bad weekend. It's a, it's a good weekend for points for them. They just didn't have the pace. They don't have the pace yet. Let's just say that. You know, I guess I expected a little more out of Russell being a little closer to Hamilton. Again, it's just one race. Mm-hmm. I just, I, I want Russell to be challenging Hamilton, and we're not seeing it yet. You know, I think we will probably see it later in the year. But it does show, you know, they're struggling a bit with the car. And even when they are, Hamilton, you got to think he got the most out of it. Yeah. He's, it just shows his caliber. And, uh, you know, Russell's he's learning. And he's, not, he's obviously not that caliber yet. At least he wasn't this weekend. Because I think Hamilton got what you could get out of that car. And that was what the best they could hope for mm-hmm. for this weekend. Mercedes car looks gorgeous, though. It does. So gorgeous. Uh, Russell did start P9, so for him to end, uh, you know, P4, pretty good. Um, and he he did have a tweet that said something like, "Rolled the dice in qualifying, ended up P9. You know, we'll 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 take it to the track tomorrow." So I'm not sure. Maybe you know, maybe he's saying they tried something uh, in the setup or something for Q3. Yeah, or he took an, he took a risk on the lap, you know, trying to just get the ultimate lap and mm. overcooked it. I think he did mm. lock lock a wheel up in, okay. early in the lap or some point in the lap, and you can never really get that that time back. But even so, he looked a couple tenths off Hamilton all qualifying. Yeah, yeah, you're right. He did start ninth, and he did work his way up, and he did that quickly. He got a great start in contrast to a couple other people we've talked about who didn't get a good start. He got a good start and worked his way up and got and put the car in the place it should have been. It's just that I was sort of hoping and maybe expecting a little bit that he would already be at Hamilton's level now. I think he's yeah. going to get there. That's just my opinion. But he's clearly not there yet, and I thought maybe he'd just jump in and and and, and blow you know knock everybody's socks off. Right. Um, so, but you're right. That was still a good weekend for him. And I talked about both consistent and clean run up. Well, I mean from ninth to fourth is a consistent and clean run up. And even if that was sixth, you know, with the double retirement not happening, if that didn't happen, that's still a good, good mm-hmm. clean run up. And, you know, and I think that again shows we've seen a lot of drivers make way through the field. Yeah. You know, I think the rules might be working. Right. One thing uh, Mercedes struggle sh- showed this weekend, you know, Hamilton was getting the most out of the car probably, but even he didn't seem prepared for how cold the rear tires were going to be, you know, when he came mm-hmm. out of the pits. Yeah. Um, I mean, he almost went off the track, yeah. not realizing how little grip he would have, particularly in the, in the rears. Um, now, they were on the hard tire, so right. it showed it a little more. The tire blanket issue, the, 
they've lowered the temperature on the rears this year. So <laughs> you're he, was, need he to was the first. Up. He was the first car to pit of the season. I think like eleventh or twelfth lap. And yeah, then, yeah. When he came out uh, and put on the hards, referring to yeah, put on the hards, and then uh, yeah, he came out and yeah, almost <laughs> almost lost it. It got eaten up by I think it was Joe or somebody that came out right right behind him initially. Yeah. So that yeah, that shows an issue that's gonna that's gonna pop up this year and gonna you know cause a little headache when you're defending position coming out of the pits. But if even Hamilton didn't have a handle on what those rears were going to do, that just shows that it's a, you know, it was a surprise even to him. So, Yeah. And so both Red Bull cars go down. And also one of the Alphataris, Gasly, of course, uh, which maybe we'll get to. Alphataris running the same motors, Honda or Red Bull motors, whatever they want to call them. Mm. Um, so might suggest a systemic issue. I mean, certainly the two Red Bulls suggests potentially uh, suggests the possibility of a systemic issue. I don't know if they've said uh, yet what they found because they were going to tear everything down. Of course, Horner made the comment that he thought it was going to be a fuel pump issue for both cars. So we'll see mm-hmm. if that pans out once they come out with if they do come out with uh, what actually happened. I don't actually know what Alphatari's problem was. Was it an engine? Yeah, I don't know for sure either. I mean, they're, okay. Caught fire, um, so it looked like it was engine, but I guess that could be brakes overheating and causing a fire yeah. or something. So I don't know if it was related to the same failures that, that the Red Bull cars had. AlphaTauri, I have to admit, I barely even have in my notes. I almost forgot about him because besides that, Sonoda seemed to me, I mean, I, I have to be honest, I don't even know where he finished. I'm assuming he P8. just ate. P8. Yeah. Sonoda finishes P8. Yeah. I mean, I'm saying they're anonymous. Well, that's a good run. Yeah. And that shows they're still in the midfield because Gasly, you assume, would be a place or two up maybe. So AlphaTauri didn't <laughs> didn't do so bad, I guess. Yeah. Wow, great. I'm sort of embarrassed. I just uh, didn't even notice Sonoda. I know. And, and I was he, so excited for to see him do well this year, I, and I didn't even notice in this race get a P8. I think he didn't get a ton of coverage on the broadcast because he, he went under the radar you know, for me as well. And then when I looked at the result, he started 16th and uh, finished p8 so moved up eight positions uh really six i guess with the two red bull um, yeah. retirements but uh so yeah a mixed bag for alfatari ghastly uh, uh with the technical issues but sonoda has a nice start well, i think it looks like they're what sixth fastest team at this point maybe seventh fastest team maybe alpine and AlphaTauri are, are sixth or seventh, and we don't really know which one. Of course, this all can change anyway, but as, as they develop their cars and that. But sixth and seventh, AlphaTauri and Alpine. You've got Haas and Alfa Romeo, fifth and sixth. Fourth and fifth. Fourth and shoot. fifth, right. So you've got AlphaTauri and Alpine, then sixth and seventh. That's sort of interchangeable. We don't really know yet. So Ocon, P7, uh, Alonzo, P9, double points for Alpine. Decent showing. Yeah, actually pretty pretty good showing for Alpine. You know, they're sort of right where they've been, though. You know, yeah. they're right marred in the middle of the pack as they've been the last three years, and we know they've been rebuilding this entire time. So it seems like more of the same, you know. I, I just can't express how much of a surprise to see Haas and Alfa Romeo back up there. We, you know, the Ferrari engine has to be a big part of it. But still, to see them, they actually did what they said they were doing when everybody else was also doing what they said they were doing, but then it doesn't actually work. It actually right. worked for them in that the, we, they actually moved up the grid, you know, mm. and Alpine has been restructuring for the past, you know, however many years, and they still just stay right sort of in the mid thing. Again, it was one race, but 
would have liked to have seen a little more. That leads us to three teams left, right? Williams, McLaren, and Aston Martin. And I have mm-hmm. very little in my notes about these three teams just because they all kind of looked bad, right? They're all at the back. I mean, I'm so heartbroken to see McLaren back there. Yeah, You have to think they have some problem that once they overcome, they've got the inherent speed in the car. But right now, it just looks bad. Ricardo can be forgiven for having almost no time in the car, but... Even when Norris is doing that bad, you know something's wrong with the car. Right. So P14 like, for Ricardo, P15 for Norris. Oh, Ricardo Jeff. actually ended up ahead of Norris. Yeah, wow. he did. Just uh, not much to be happy about, I think, from the McLaren weekend. Yeah. And Williams and Aston Martin. I, I, the, you know, the announcers seem to be feeling that, that Williams has a lot of potential they just haven't unlocked yet. And Albon at one point was sort of holding everybody up early in the race, but mm-hmm. holding his own up there, able yeah. to, to keep it at least for a little while. Maybe Williams does. I hope they do. But it's sort of just like, oh, you know, again, it doesn't look like they made any progress. And you'd hoped that you really thought they had because they had made so much progress just in the two years before that from climbing off the very, very bottom. Of course, they were helped by Haas kind of falling. So, yeah, P13 for Albon, um, P16 for Latifi. Yeah, so not a great start for Williams. But Albon, first race back, you know, after uh, a year or more away. So something to build on, a P13, I would think. Yeah, Albon actually looked looked good. I think that's the one promising uh, thing you can take from Williams' performance this weekend was, was Albon. Yeah. Okay. How about Aston Martin? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, I don't even know where they finished, but it, 18th and 19th. P12 for Stroll, P17 for Hulkenberg. Okay, Stroll ended up actually P12, but it, it seemed like the first half of the race they were just languishing in the in the back. I know at one point Hulkenberg lost a couple positions after locking up in, in corner one, I think. Yeah, I don't know. I don't have much to say about them just because they oh, looked like they had a terrible weekend all weekend. You know, Hulkenberg performed pretty well. He's jumping in the car and doing well, but the unlike Magnussen, he just can't show anything with this car. Yeah, Hulkenberg, of course, jumping in at you know the just a couple of days before uh, the Grand Prix here. So um, you know, just not just keeping the car on the track seems like a win for uh, <laughs> for that scenario. I guess Stroll actually had a decent race. I didn't notice it, but finishing P twelve started P nineteen, um, so up seven positions. It's yeah. really five because of Red yeah, Bull. But it's not where he wants to be, but uh, you know, he was able to pass and move up the field. Well, yeah, it just looks like it's gonna be a uphill battle for Aston Martin this year. You know, surprise, surprise. They're it's yeah. hard to crawl your way way up the grid. Yeah, well they'll have Vettel back in uh, back in the car, presumably, for this weekend. I think there's still a little doubt if he'll make it, but mm. most likely he'll be back in the in the yeah. next race. And, you know, he'll probably do better than Hulkenberg. He's Sebastian Vettel and Hulkenberg, like I said, has been out for a long time you know it's one race so I don't want to get too down about these three teams at the bottom that we just talked about Uh, it's only one race we'll see but not a lot of heartening things to take for any of these three teams from uh, at least the first weekend of the year well that's it for going through the teams I think we've got you know Red Bull and Ferrari on top with Ferrari having the upper hand a little bit but close and then Mm -hmm. we've got Mercedes as the, the third team trailing a bit from those and having some struggles with the car. And then after that, you know, pretty much see how the rest of the fields, field juggles itself around as they develop the cars. Hopefully Haas and Alfa Romeo can keep their resurgence and stay uh, 
stay up there in fourth and fifth. And then, of course, you know, I, I expect Mercedes to close the gap to Red Bull and Ferrari. But, you know, this could be Ferrari's year. This could be uh, Leclerc's year. Yeah, there's definitely been a, a shakeup in the uh, Constructors' uh, Championship, and I, I guess that's part of what F1 was hoping for with these uh, with these new changes. Yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll see better racing, I think, this year too, which is going to be, be exciting. So anything else from the first race that you want to touch on? What, what else stood out to you as uh, – well, I guess on that last point that you just mentioned, um, you know, did we see proof of concept for the rule changes? Did we see closer, more exciting racing, more passing? I feel like we did. Um, you know, that Leclerc Verstappen battle we talked about comes to mind. And it just looked like the cars were generally closer together. Closer there was together, more exciting yeah. racing. Um, so I feel like we did see that. You mentioned earlier, Botas made his way through the field. We saw a couple other drivers uh, made their way uh, even, through the field. Even Botas even made his Botas. way through the field. I think yeah, that's right. more accurate. <laughs> yeah. Um, so it, it looks like, yeah, it looks like they really, they really worked. Well, I do think we've seen a bit of proof of concept. Now, this is a bit of a point-and-shoot track, right? Point-and-shoot track, kind of like a bunch of 90-degree corners. You know, you break in a straight line, you get the car rotated, and you push it, punch it, and you're out. Not a true point-and-shoot track, but it's as close to one as Formula One pretty much gets. So that kind of track is going to let you follow a little closer than a track that has a lot of long, sweeping, fast corners. Mm -hmm. So this, I do think, showed proof of concept, but let's see what happens when we get to some other tracks and that maybe don't suit this kind of uh, action quite as quite as much. Yeah. Well, I, I think for me to... One of the things I discovered was actually how great the official feed is if you take advantage of all its different attributes. I've always listened to F1 on, I think it's the Sky Sports, but it's the international commentary that has Martin Brundle on it. And I absolutely, I like Brundle's analysis because he's a driver that seems to remember what the rules were when he drove. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, I thought he made a lot of calls about the Abu Dhabi race finale last year as correct about the how you know how you are allowed to pass and the, the unwritten rules of the drivers, whatever. Mm. And his voice is just so pleasing to me. I know he does have a great voice. But for this race, uh, at least the first impression, I watched um, the official F1 commentary, which is you're talking Joe, about on the F1 app. Yeah, on, yeah, yeah, on the F1 app, which was Jolene Palmer um, was the the color guy, I guess, and he's great. I've yeah. watched some of his videos, and I, I, I feel like he does, um, on the F1 website, I feel like he does a fairly objective view. And again, a former driver, and he's a recent driver, not the best driver, but, you know, we always see those guys that are like the, the middle, you know, the, you know, the middle rung of their professional sport, and then they become the coach or whatever, you know. So mm-hmm. his analysis, I think, is, is not only objective, but it's, it's right on to what the drivers would kind of, kind of feel. Yeah. I thought that was really interesting. He hit on a lot of points that I feel like in the Sky Sports broadcast, I would have been like, wait, why aren't they talking about this? Mm-hmm. Like all those that I think of, sometimes Palmer seems to hit all, all of them, <laughs> probably why he's there. Uh, but yeah, I, I really enjoyed that. And, and of course, you can switch back between the commentary. I watched the race a second time with the original commentary, and I got to um, you know, relax with the pleasing sounds of Martin Brundle. Yeah, I actually listened to the, the F1 commentators, Palmer and the other guy. Um, I thought what's really cool on the app too 
is uh, this is the F1 TV, and we we should say we're not uh, we're kind of plugging the uh, F1 TV app. We're not associated, affiliated with F1 or F1 TV. We have no sponsorship from uh, F1, um, but the app is so cool. You can actually look at the cockpit cam for each of the drivers, and you can toggle through it. You can go rewatch the whole race from someone's cockpit cam, and when you've got their cockpit cam, you also get their radio. Yeah. It's so cool. Amazing. I mean, yeah. you could, you know, if you were a super fan, you could watch every race only from the perspective of your driver from start to finish, and that's it. Just see how the season goes with that. I'm not going to do that, but I think that'd be really neat. And I think I will pick a driver out and maybe my second or third viewing. I'll just stick with uh, a driver and see how the race unfolds. I'm interested to maybe do that with Abu Dhabi from last year. Imagine watching yeah. that. Um, you know, I'll just follow Nicholas Latifi for the race and uh, wait for the crash. But no, I mean, seriously, you know, to watch that from Verstappen's point of view and then Hamilton's point of view mm-hmm. or vice versa. Um, it's going to be a little, it's going to look a little different than it did from our, our perspective. And that it's almost unheard of in sports. It's like, it's like they had a helmet cam on a receiver and you just watch that all game. Right. Um, I know. You know, you wouldn't want to do that normally, but that's just an incredible feature. Yeah. I don't know if you can do, can you do it in past seasons? So you can, I mean, I know you can watch the, the past season races on F1 TV, and go back decades, which is pretty cool. I don't know if you get the cockpit cam in past seasons. Maybe you do. In like I just recent don't. ones? I don't know yeah, either. I right? no that's, that's a good thing to, to try out. But I did watch, I know you can at least for like the current season because, uh, well, it'd be interesting to see like, let's fast forward six races and go back and see if we can still watch this race with all that. But I, you definitely, you can at least in the short term after it. Yeah. Uh, but I, that's just a, I just think that's so neat. I knew it was a feature, but I never really delved into it too hard. And I think I'll be doing that a lot a lot more just yeah me too i went back and watched some key moments from different drivers perspectives um like the restart um with uh the leclerc well the restart at like lap 50 you know after the safety car that was that was really interesting i watched it from um science's uh perspective because you could you could see you know where max was in p2 and where leclerc was in p1 and um i and so it's interesting to just look at different um look at different key moments in the race from different drivers' perspective. Well, just to bookend the episode with, you know, testing, I guess, the porpoising issue. We haven't really talked too much about that. And I feel like it wasn't a huge issue. Now, obviously, behind the scenes, it probably still was. But Mm -hmm. they showed a little bit of it. I think I feel, feel like they showed a couple instances where they were showing that people were having some trouble. But... It seems like this is a bumpy track, too. Is yeah, this, so it's hard to tell. Yeah. Is this bumps or is it pur- porpoising? Uh, it's a hard word to say, too. It's a tongue twister. Yeah. But you got to imagine that at least some of the teams that were struggling harder than others with it had to make some performance compromises in order to make it you know, livable, in order to live with it for the race. Mm-hmm. So it'll be interesting to see if when they find better solutions to you know, the problem instead of having to maybe let's say raise the ride height or whatever, if they move up the grid, when they actually find solutions that they don't have to compromise their setup, you know, the performance that the, the setup gives them. So, so they might get some performance back if they can solve the porpoise. Right. Problem. Yeah. I mean, yeah. basically yeah, a better way to say that is just, they had to compromise their performance to live with the, the porpoising and so, or to reduce 
the porpoising. Yeah. And so if they find a real solution to the porpoising, then they can dial that performance into the setup back back into the setup and yeah. and maybe they'll move, you know, maybe the order will change a little. I don't expect that it's going to be a huge issue really the rest of the year. I think it's probably still behind the scenes. The teams are obviously working very hard at it, but I don't think we're going to see too much of it because it's going to be a situation like this. They've got to fix it or, or make it better. And so they're at the very least, they're going to do, well, uh, a performance adjustment, at least at this part, until they really figure it out. Mm-hmm. And I think that's going to be behind the scenes for the most part. Yeah. Well, if any team can get their arms around it and solve an issue... In short order, it's got to be Mercedes with all the the resources and expertise. Yeah, and I don't, I don't, you know, they haven't talked much about it either lately. So I don't know how much of their deficit to the front is a compromise to fix that, or if it's just yeah. some somewhere else in the car that they've got to um, claw back. Yeah, and I mentioned the uh, the restart after the safety car lap fifty fifty one. Um, I thought it was interesting. Max was kind of poking his nose in uh, inside of Leclerc, just a little inside Leclerc's, you know, rear axle. And he ended up being out of position for that last turn onto the main straight. And Leclerc just got a, a run on him. And even Sainz got a run on Max. It just seemed like uh, it just seemed like a weird thing for Max to do. And, and it seemed like obvious that it would leave him a little out of position for that turn. Maybe he wasn't expecting Leclerc to get on it right there. He almost lost second place to Science yeah. there. I don't know, because you'd think he'd want to be tucked right in and stick as close to uh, Leclerc as he could so that he could possibly get a run on him, you know, on the first straight, at the end of the first straight. But, yeah, he was like, it's like he was, like, trying to play some game, and it backfired because then he was way out of position for the start. I'd almost say that it looked like he wasn't expecting the start to happen there, and maybe Leclerc did yeah. get on it earlier than he expected, but... You got to think a guy like Verstappen's going to have anticipated that could happen, and maybe not taken the risk of being out of position there, but he did for whatever reason, and it, and it, it cost him. All right, well that's going to wrap up our recap of the Bahrain Grand Prix. Thanks for joining us at the F1 Runoff Area Podcast. Join us for our next episode where we're going to preview the Saudi Arabian Grand Prix. If you have any questions, comments, or suggestions, feel free to email us at f1runoffarea at gmail.com. And please take a minute to like and subscribe. Thanks. See you later.